everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris K. Each week, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. Each week, we'll also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week on episode 11, we're going to be introducing an ongoing topic called Album Cover Breakdown, where we pick a group and discuss and dissect their album cover history. This week, we'll be breaking down Metallica's album cover history. Later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best, with this week's Big Four. And we've got another What Should You Be Listening To? But before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode 10. Last week, we took you guys back to school with Metal 101 and discussed the three biggest heavy metal hard rock albums, Metallica's Black Album, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, and ACDC's Back in Black. We also went over some of metal subgenres and some recommendations of what to pick up if you're looking to get into them. If you missed last week's episode or any of the previous ones, be sure to stream or download all of our episodes from your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us or leave us a review. Chris, what's our big four last week? Last week we picked our big four comeback albums. To check out our list, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and let us know if you liked our picks or think you can do better. Let's start things off with what should you be listening to. Kenneth, how about you start us off? All right. This week's what should you be listening to, I've come up with Kiss, Creatures of the Night. That album is probably, I would say, their most underrated album. Came it's out probably in- my favorite of theirs. It's it's probably my number two, two or three. I really like Revenge. I really like Love Gun. Obviously, my favorite overall is Alive 2, but that's not a studio record. Creatures of the Night came out in 1982. It, was, it saw the end of the Ace Frehley era and introduced the Vinnie Vincent era, although not right away. He's, he plays on a lot of songs on the album. However, he's not credited and he doesn't appear on the album cover. Nope, not at all. But the standout tracks for that album are Creatures of the Night, I Love It Loud, and War Machine, with uh, those last two songs being Gene Simmons songs. Creatures is just an amazing way to start off a record. The The sound on that is bombastic. The guitar playing, I mean, it's the first time there was actually shredding on a Kiss record. So no one knew, Ace Freely showing up in all the presses, but no one knows who's the other guitar player. Or, or who was actually playing guitar on the record. And it, it's a yeah, stark it's contrast. Not him, yeah, yeah, it's clearly not not uh, Vinny. But it's a great you record. You mean not Ace. Um, excuse me. Clearly not Ace. <laughs> <laughs> clearly not Ace. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is a return to form, for, for lack of a better term, coming off of the disappointing music from the Elder album that barely had any indication of what Eric Carr could do as a drummer. This one showed off Eric in all sorts of ways. Yeah, he he um, was actually a little disappointed 
that that was his first Very record with uh, with Kiss. Yeah, the Elder. Yeah, he he got a complete turnaround on what he was was allowed to do on Creatures of the Night. It's I mean just the way it starts. The drums are so heavy. They're they're right in the front of your face. I mean they're just there. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. It, it's so much so that uh, Vinnie Vincent actually said he didn't he didn't really like the mix because the, the he felt like the drums were too far forward. But I really disagree. I mean that's coming from a guitar player. Of course he wants his yeah. his work put up front, but. I disagree. I think the drums being where they were, it was such a cool sound for the album. It's just, it's not covering anything up. It's just heavier. Oh, no, yeah. I, exactly. I mean, I don't feel the mix. I mean, yes, it's drum heavy, but I don't feel that the, that the mix took away from anything else. I mean, no, I think it's, it, was, it was what made the sound of that album oh, so good. F- for sure, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if you haven't gotten it, if you haven't heard it, download it, stream it, buy it somehow. Uh, Kiss Creatures of the Night from 1982. You won't be disappointed. Chris, what do you got? All right. Um, so I've got a, a band that's uh, about the same size. You know, little band four, like four Kiss. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually less. It's three guys. Oh, wow. um, I don't know exactly. I maybe they're hiring the guys that recorded the album, or I'm not sure. But uh, basically, it's a small band from Houston uh, called Day of Reckoning. They released a new EP called Spread Your Disease. It is a fantastic record. How appropriate. Yeah, it's 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 very timely name for it. But they I mean from from all indications from everything that 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 they've been releasing for a long time in their social media. Um this name has been around for a long time and it's just really unfortunate timing or fortunate timing depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So basically uh it it started as two members of Outworld which put out one album a, a while back. Uh, then disbanded. Uh, that would be Rusty Cooley. Uh, he's a pretty famous guitar player among guitar players. And then Matt Smith, who was the drummer for Outworld. Uh, now, since he's he's gone in a different direction, but Rusty's playing with a couple other guys. Uh, Brad Lambert is the singer, and uh, Matt Huff is the rhythm guitarist slash uh, harmony guitarist, because they do a lot of guitar harmonies, which sound just killer. So so it's it's a bit of a mix between death metal, prog rock, metalcore and thrash. Um but it's it heavily leans on these melodies that are put there which is is just kind of a thing of its own from what I've heard. Right. Highlight of the album to me is a song called Dig. Listen to it. The guitar harmonies are just killer. And a little bit of an interesting note, Matt Huff, the guitarist, a few years back I went to see the band at a live show, and uh, they had a new guitarist up on the stage, which I, I had been told he was you know, he was playing with them, uh, but I didn't know the name. So I went, and it turned out to be a guy I used to sit next to in middle school, that's, Matt Huff. That's cool. Yeah, it was very bizarre to see, but his guitar playing skills are just phenomenal. Well, I you you told me about the album the other day, and I listened to that song. Dig, you told me to listen to, and it was quite amazing. Just so intricate. We, you know, we we don't get to listen to music very loud at at, at work, and just to, to off the lo- one little speaker that I could hear in, in low in the background. I mean, the guitar playing was just coming right through, and it was amazing to listen to. Mm-hmm. For I, a self-produced album, yeah. it's just it sounds killer. It's just one of those things like it's very complex but listenable. Right, yeah. One other interesting note is that uh, Carl Sanders of Nile 
actually appears on the very last song on the album. He's got a lot of input there. You can hear it, but it's definitely their music, but it has, you know, that collaboration feel to it. Right. It's awesome. Right, cool. So yeah, definitely check them out. They I know they're they're playing around Houston and you can get the album on Bandcamp or Google Play or any of those those streaming services it is available support your local bands it's only i think 6 bucks for the for the ep so come on people buy the cd hell yeah <laughs> all right cool well that brings us to this week's topic and again let's go over what it is it's a new a new topic we're doing album cover breakdown this week we're we're breaking down metallica's album cover history and we understand that podcasting is not a visual platform uh, unless there's a youtube channel but we're going to do everything we can to, to, to describe these albums. So if you have an opportunity while you're listening to it, listening to us at home, pick up the album if you happen to have it, uh, own it. Uh, if not, download it onto, uh, on your computer and take a look at it and, and just listen along to, uh, with us so we can describe, as we describe the album covers and our takes on uh, you know, the good and bad of, of the album covers. So we're going to start off with Metallica's first album, Kill 'Em All. It was released in 1983. It was on Megaforce Records. It was first or second album to be released on Megaforce Records, a small label by Johnny Z out of New Jersey. The album cover is what, Chris? I mean, the first thing that I see when I look at the album cover is just this. It's, it's basic colors, black, white, red, and that's it. It's such a stark contrast. It's very eye-catching. The, the logo for Metallica is such an iconic logo. And it's very bold. I mean, it's big. Yeah. It's it, it's bigger than they normally put it on it, it's, but it's also very one-dimensional. It's flat. Yes, it's 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 flat, but that M and the A, I mean, they, they, it's really just, a, just an eye-catching logo. So you got this image of a hammer with a, a, a pool of blood underneath it and this ghostly hand kind of behind the hammer. Which, when I was a kid, I, I didn't think too much about it until I really just started looking at the album cover. I remember just sitting there like, is that supposed to be like a ghost hand behind it? Or is that the shadow coming up? But the shadow's not going over the hammer. It's it's very confusing. I mean, it's it's a cool image. It is. It's a cool image. Which, which, which you realize when you really kind of break it down is it, it's on a light box. And so, yeah. so you have light coming from underneath and so you, the bottom of the handle, the backside of the handle is, is lit up. Uh, so that, that's what makes the hand really weird in, in its positioning and its, in its shadowing. But other than that... I've just always you know, wondered what it was supposed to mean. Like, why, why, why is the hand like that? It's basically letting go of the hammer you know, <laughs> that, that killed whatever it killed. Now, when I first got this album, I was curious about it because I always thought that that pool of blood was shaped like a like a child or a baby or something and I always wonder what that was and it's not necessarily meant to be that I don't think there ever was that but it, to it's, me it's, you're reading into it like a Rorschach test I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's like a baby sucking a thumb I don't know That's I what, see my mother <laughs> <laughs> again it, for an independent record there is a little bit of shock value compared to what they originally wanted to call it, which was metal up your ass with a toilet and a, and a knife shooting through it. <laughs> and everyone who's a Metallica fan knows that iconic image that's on a lot of t-shirts. 
it this is a, a, a still a very shocking cover when you see it because it is a pool of blood. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's eye catching. I mean, it's that's what the, what the point is. You know? Right, exactly. Pay attention to us. <laughs> I mean, that that's I I love packaging. I mean, that's that's always been kind of my one of my things. I was a graphic designer for a long time. The package is what sells the product. Oh it's, yeah, for sure. You know, of course, it, it's what says I want this one over this one. So I remember going into record store as a kid. So a lot of times I couldn't listen to the albums, you know, you didn't have the iPods and, and stuff back then. Right. And my friend and I would just go to this record store and it's unfortunately no longer around anymore. We would go check out Diamond Head Records and we would just go pick like the coolest looking album cover. And that was, that was how we picked out music. And something like this, that's just so interesting to look at. It gives you questions. I think maybe that's what makes a good album cover sometimes is it it does make you ask questions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it invokes different sorts of thoughts and imagery and ideas. It it makes you think. And those those are very good album covers that that can do that. Yeah. You know, if it's plain and simple, there's there's not a lot of thought behind it or wants or it doesn't want to make you think a lot about it. Yeah, and you've got this really nice, bright red Metallica logo, and at the bottom you have "Kill 'Em All" in this big, bold font. I mean, and, and clearly the message is there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you go to the back album cover, back of the album cover, and you've got this picture of these teenage, late teenage boys. You know, yeah. angry, angsty, wearing denim and leather, not very kempt. No. And uh, what's what's kind of interesting about that is... Well, I mean, Metallica, it, they're, they're young. Obviously, you can see that in the thing. They're, you know, you can see all the warts and all, for, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, their, their complexion's not great. It, it shows up on the pictures. You know, you've got Lars Ulrich with a with a five o'clock shadow mustache that's really bad in terms of... It doesn't of, quite connect into a full beard. No, he's, he's still young. The angst that's all over their face... It's definitely a stark contrast from what was coming out of the L.A. scene at the time where everything was prim and proper hair. You know, uh, the hair part of it was not yet, you know, full blown, you know, hairspray and, 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 and teasing your hair. It was getting there. But in 1983, you know, Motley Crue was the big act that came to come out of the L.A. scene slowly but surely was followed up with with um quiet riot and wasp and all those guys yeah but their their hair is not a whole lot different than what you would have seen with led zeppelin right or, exactly you know. i mean it, it's it's very just straightforward you know parted down the middle and combed straight down so what what's interesting about this is because there's there's not that focus of you know glam and glitz and looking good mm-hmm. i mean that that's the whole attitude of thrash metal oh right exactly i mean that they, they, they you look at these guys and they look kind of pissed off. Well, they and the they, album sounds kind of pissed off. Oh hell yeah! And it fits the vibe, for sure. I mean, they moved away from L.A. to get away from that, and yeah. just to be themselves. And and basically that was it. They would go on stage with whatever they were wearing, you know. And maybe they added a, a studded belt or two, but for the most part, what what they played in, you know, was what they what they wore. They just were a metal band that went out there and played and kicked your ass. You know, yeah. So, so you, you've got the image in the center, and then you've got it surrounded by a bunch of uh, red text with the producers, the the record company info. You got the the album. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the the song tracks, but not much else. I mean, if you if you pull the the record out of the sleeve, 
It's just in a white sleeve. There's no Yeah, there was no liner lyrics, notes. Yeah, no there was no lyrics, notes. no liner notes. But um, when they got signed to Elektra in 1984, the album was reissued, uh, I believe, in 85. And then was given, uh, I guess you could say, the proper touches that it needed. The inner liner notes came with some pictures from the, the, the most recent tour that they had played that year, 1984, uh, excuse me, 1983. That was probably the uh, Raven Kill 'em All for One tour yeah. um, that, they, that they went on across America with, with Raven. It did come with the lyric sheet. And they did add the two, the big single that they had for, for uh, that was on the back of Creeping Death, "Am I Evil" and Blitzkrieg, were added to the to this package. So there is a little bit of difference to it, but it, it makes it a little bit better. I mean, it's, it's a collectible. The first one obviously is a collectible because it was it was the first you know Megaforce record and, and the first Metallica record. And this one is collectible because it has "Am I Evil" and Blitzkrieg on it. There are slight differences. Uh, the picture on the on the Megaforce release does not have an outline on it. It, it but and the one that's on the Electra release has a white outline on it. Yeah, it, it looks a little more finished. Looks, yes, looks a little more professional. Although the picture looks horrible in comparison it's to the very one on saturated. It's yeah. very saturated. Colors are really, really almost obnoxious to to a, some degree. I mean, the picture that's on the Megaforce version is a lot better. It's the real picture. Yeah. This one, you could tell, has been over-processed and, and mm-hmm. over-saturated. What's in, it's what's inside that counts, and this album led to so much more for Metallica. I mean, this was only the start and the beginning. And yeah. Quite a career, as we all know. Next up, we've got Ride the Lightning. That was Metallica's second release on Megaforce Records. came out in 1984. Chris, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. All right, so for the most part, you're looking at a blue image. Uh, one thing that's, that's interesting about metallic albums is they all have a lot of very stark contrast on the images. And so you've got a blue sky, a dark blue, so it's obviously storming out. It's got the electric chair in the center. Hovering above it is the Metallica logo looking like it's metal. Electrified. It's electrified metal. <laughs> and, and it's got uh, lightning coming from the logo hitting the, the electric chair. At the bottom, you've got the, the Ride the Lightning text. Kind of small and inconspicuous because the focus is on this image that's in the center. Oh, yeah. There's... The image tells you the story, and there is no hiding about what this is about. I mean, Ride the Lightning. It's an electric chair waiting the next recipient of electricity to to basically uh, have the person. And I don't want to say criminal because it could be an innocent person. Um, but the next, the next uh, victim, I guess you could say, to Ride the Lightning. It is definitely a very pointed image. It's, again, iconic for the fact that, you know, the the electricity coming off the logo and for what it stands for. I mean, it it, it made a statement, a very bold statement. Yeah, it's and very it, eye catching. And it's very it's a big jump from what the first album was to this album. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little more fleshed out in design work. It's painted, um, whereas the the original image was a looked like a photo. Right. And this this is a painted image. The Metallica logo has changed a little bit. It's it's actually coming towards you a bit in in perspective, it's whereas the original was now. flat. Yes. So we go to the back cover, and we've got a, a kind of a carryover from the image that's on the front, where we've got blue sky with some lightning cracking, uh, smaller version of the Metallica logo in the center, but some kind of cheesy 
placement of some pictures of the band, which are great images. It's, de- it's definitely a cut and paste feel to it, which I'm surprised that they didn't add the borders to the pictures like they had done to Kill 'Em All. To Kill 'Em All, um, yeah. But you know, this what we're holding now is the Electra release compared to the Megaforce release, and I don't think there's much difference other than adding the Electra logo and the UPC on the in the corner. Everything else is pretty much the same. But just that the the song titles being put in the middle just looks like they they cut and pasted a, a blue rectangle. Yeah, that's definitely my least favorite part of this cover. It just it looks so cheesy. But what I what I do really like is these images that they've put of the band. There are some fantastic photos of Cliff and Lars kind of looking like he needs to take a dump and James and, and Kirk. They're, they're just, they're well contrasted. You've got complementary colors of orange against the blue and it looks just really cool. It's very, uh, you know, it pops at you. Oh yeah, the picture of Cliff is kind of weird because it actually looks like the reload cover in the corner of the yeah. <laughs> of the background. What, what's also nice is that there's it's a bit of an upgrade from the the first release, in that the sleeve, on the inside, now has pictures of the band. It has like a basically like a a new class photo of the band, <laughs> um, a picture from the one of the concerts they played at backstage. So it gives you a, a smattering of all these aspects of, of basically following them on tour. And then it's also got all the lyrics on the inside. Right, yeah, and, and, and an extensive list of uh, thank yous at the end. It, it's pretty much what Metallica, you know, the, the several, after they reissued Kill 'Em All by the Lightning and Master Puppets, what we're going to talk about right now, they all have a very similar inside liner note with uh, lyrics and, and the information. So speaking of Master Puppets... Master of Puppets came out in 1986, and it was Metallica's breakthrough record. This was their, you know, this became their biggest record to this point. And what do you think of the cover, Chris? All right, so it's set in a uh, a cemetery, not unlike the uh, National Cemetery in Washington. So a line of crosses, clearly from soldiers that have been killed. From there, you've got strings that are leading to these hands that are in the sky. Those are surrounding the Metallica logo, which is you know made of stone, much like the the crosses below. On the center cross, you've got uh, a set of dog tags, and then on the the far cross on the on the left side of the, of the page, it's got a um, helmet, a soldier's helmet. Mm-hmm. So you've got a very dramatic and powerful image here. So one of the things that that always stuck out to me was you've got the placement of these the crosses, mm-hmm. which yeah, there's more than three lines of crosses, but they've got these these three crosses in the front, which definitely resonates with Christian. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, definitely imagery. Some Christian imagery. Yeah, so so you've got a whole lot of different levels here. You've got the soldiers that are being made puppets. You've clearly got a reference to Christianity, possibly in that same context. I mean, there's there's just a whole lot going on here that just it gets you thinking. Oh, it, it definitely invokes a lot of thought. A variety of different themes can be interpreted from this, but it's definitely a a theme of manipulation, mm-hmm. a, a theme of military for sure. And so, the, so you got which are all themes in the songs as well. Exactly right. So, so it ties in the the whole the album cover ties into several different themes on uh, in the album on the songs and so that that's that's pretty cool because it doesn't just lend itself to the one song like for instance ride the lightning specifically lends itself to the song ride the lightning mm-hmm. but this one it can be about several different 
songs that are on the album. Oh, yeah. Not just one. I mean, because Master of Puppets is not a military-type song. It's not about no, you know, soldiers and war. No, but Disposable Heroes But is, Disposable yeah. Heroes is definitively a war song. And one thing that I noted on the last album cover was that it used complementary colors, which this one does as well, mm-hmm. where it's got the, the maroon-red color on the top and the green on the bottom. It's it's very strong contrast between the the very stark white in the center. Yes, and, and the imagery also, even the center of it where it's very orangish yellow, um, almost feels like, yeah, there's the sun peeking through clouds, but it is also an apocalyptic feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like the end of the world is on that side of the color at the end of the crosses. Yeah, these the crosses are leading to a, a horizon point. It kind of death is leading this direction almost. Yes, exactly. All right, so we flip to the back, and we've got a, a basically maroon cover with a photo of the band again. Same kind of thing that's been on the last two. Right, um, but, but you can tell that the photography's been upgraded. Photography's better. Their wardrobe is a little better. Um, <laughs> if, you, if jeans and T-shirts. Better, they're better jeans and better T-shirts. Better jeans and better <laughs> T-shirts. And then you've got some really nice action shots of the band in motion while playing a show, as well as there's a, a huge venue shot from behind the band where you can see the crowd which just shows how far they've come in just such a short time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking three years. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that shot is taken from the Day of the Green in San Francisco, which, you know, it was basically in their backyard. And although they're not the headliners, there are still a lot of people to see them in the middle of the daytime at a concert like that. Oh, yeah. And and any time that a, a smaller band, if they're not the headliner, gets the chance to play in front of this many people, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. I like the pictures. I like, you know, you, you could tell that they're, they're outlined, you know, so there's there's more to it. The, and the other thing I've noticed with, with Metallica in, in the last several records is the colors that are part of the album, like the maroon, red, it becomes a theme for the entire tour, the entire concert, the tour, the, the t-shirts for that matter. So I, I like how they incorporate all that into it. And one image that's included in here that is in color on the CD version of this is the, the classic image of uh, the band sitting on a couch with uh, Cliff shoot, or shooting the rod at the, oh, yeah. at the camera. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice, nice album cover. But as far as the whole package, it, it feels much the same as the last one. Right, exactly. Very similar style. And that has a lot to do, to, it's strange how that ties in. The two albums themselves have a very similar feel. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you got fast openers, title track, fast song at the end. It, it, there's a lot of very simil- similar aspects to each of the albums. Yeah, they had a formula going. Yeah, the yeah. formula for sure. Uh, all right, so that takes us to Injustice for All. Injustice for All. The, the, the very cold stone feel to that cover. No, this is a, a gray album. I yes. mean, it's uh, that's really the only major color here. Um, the, the exception being the Metallica logo at the top is a little bit of a green color, and there's some money that has a little bit of that tie in there. But uh, So you've got an image of Lady Justice tied down, bound, uh, blind, with uh, the scales of justice that are just full of money. 
Yes, full of money. One is higher than the other, but that the, the scales are tipping. Which direction? It, it may be that they're even, but you know, but the money is it's just breaking the whole image. There's an inequality there, <clears throat> right? There's definitely an inequality. The image shows a broken Lady Justice. Uh, she is you know ready to fall apart. It is definitely a, a social statement about injustice. You know, whether it's financial or just some societal sort of, in general. <clears throat> yeah, some sort of corruption going on so it's it and in the theme that it, it has you know lends itself into the album obviously the way that is very cold and it's just a stone front it's almost kind of how the the record was made there's you know it's not a very warm record you know with the with the lack of bass on it there's a lack of depth even though there's huge bass drum sounds on it the overall feel of it is is a very cold calculated record almost unemotional even with the extra emotion that's in it it's weird saying a lack of depth because yes there is definitely a lack of depth there Mm -hmm. but it is still complex i mean there's a lot going on there oh yeah for sure yeah just the bass not being there is is what you're referring to right exactly yeah Back of the album cover, again, more stone, the same green, highlighting the song titles. It's not very obvious there, just kind of makes it pop a little bit. And then you got the, the band members all kind of looking a bit... Solemn. Solemn, I guess. Yeah, I mean... You Especially could, Lars. Yeah, Lars' face definitely looks like he's sad. And, and they may have something to do with they're still grieving for Cliff at this point. I do think that James' look on it is kind of almost Mona Lisa-ish, where there's a smirk, but yet not really a smirk. You can interpret it your own way. What I do like about the the, the way that they wrote the songs on there, in keeping with the style, because it is stone, because it is Lady Justice, there's that the, the Roman, almost like the chiseled Roman numeral lettering mm-hmm. on the back is a good touch to that. All right, so in the inside, you've got a... Uh it's a double. It's not technically a double LP, but you got two LPs, right? Because and, because of the the length of the album, they decided to make it a, a two record set, not a double album, but a two record set, just so that the songs would sound better. Because if they would have squished all that music into into one disc, it would have sounded terrible. Yeah, and fortunately, they were smart about how they did that. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, f- forcing your your fans to pay more for just because you got a little bit more extra, you know, extra content. Sometimes this doesn't work out. So what, what's cool is you got a you've got a pusshead image of a gavel with the band's faces in it, which is a pretty iconic image. Oh yeah. And then you've got uh, on the, the the second one, or maybe it's the first one. And then you've got on the other, you've got uh, an image of the band looking like cool cats with their sunglasses and in <laughs> all black, sitting somewhere. Yeah, it's hard I mean, to tell. It, it's a dark it, I mean, image. It's a studio. It's a studio picture, but there's definitely a theme to it. Yeah, with with the way that they they portray themselves on it, the cover definitely lends itself to what is happening on the album. Yeah, the, the album feels cold, but not necessarily in a bad way. No, of course not. I mean, the album is incredible. That leads us to their breakthrough album. Now, I call Master of Puppets their breakthrough album. Justice was kind of a breakthrough album because it just kept getting bigger and bigger. I wouldn't call it a breakthrough. I'd call it the crossover appeal album. Which know? one? Justice? No. Oh, the, oh, the one the, we're going to talk yeah, about? Yeah, the Black album. Yes. I mean, right. it, it's what appeals to the masses. Whereas 
puppets broke them through right puppets broke to them popularity through. right and the one we're talking about now is the black album it's the self-titled release from metallica it came out in 1991 and this is the album that changed everything it is a black none more black there's none it's more none black, more black. <laughs> logo is barely noticeable you can hardly even see it there and it's got the uh, Don't Tread on Me snake on the bottom, which uh, comes through in a different sheen. Um, yeah, it's put on a different layer of right. print. Yeah, I never got this album cover, Again, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's one of those where I would have thought something like this would have come off of, you know, would have been what And Justice for All was because they were coming off the death of, of Cliff. Um, so it almost seems like they waited an album to mourn him on the cover. So, so it doesn't. There's not a lot of sense behind it because it doesn't really portray what the songs are on the inside. We we talked about how you know Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets. There's these really thought-provoking album covers. This one is very plain. Does not bring a lot of thought. But I guess it might be one of those where it says you know let the music do the talking. I think that's a big deal. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what they were going for. I mean, it's definitely a big change and mm-hmm. to really grasp what's going on with them musically you, you kind of had to know what was going on at the time and just in general for them to depart so much from what was popular at the time put them in a different league and the album cover being black is such a bold statement it's a statement and that's you know and it was it's almost like we don't need to have anything to show how good There's we no are. There's no frills. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very no frills. And then the back of the album cover, I like a little better. It's the same snake uh, that was in the corner, the Dead Tread on Me snake. But it's full size. It but takes up the whole back. Yeah, it takes up the whole back. It's got the same effect on it where it's a, a different layer of print. So you've got a, a little bit of a contrasting image there. Mm-hmm. And then you just simply have the on the sides in gray, the track names, and then in the center... Produced by Bob Rock and uh, Hetfield and Ulrich. And this was, I believe, the the first Bob Rock album, right? Yes, it was the first Bob Rock album. Okay. It's a bold statement, being all black. Definitely. Very Spinal tapish. Yeah, and it, again, it was also a two-record set because it went over an hour's worth of time. So that was the Black Album from uh, 1991. Up next uh, is Load that came out in 1996. That... Is I would say is a departure, <laughs> a huge departure, I mean, or a left it, turn, or I don't know what you want to call that. Yeah, you have uh, the band changing their logo to a more modernized kind of interpretation of the original logo. It's still got the points on the bottom. That's about it. It's horrible. Yeah, it's. I, I don't like it I, at all. I've never really known anybody that that really liked this version of the logo. I, I wasn't a fan when the logo came out. I, I mean, I like the album. For what it's worth, the whole image was just kind of like, what the hell is this? I mean, I didn't like the logo. I didn't like the Andres Serrano's picture that they chose. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the covers, but at the same time, what can I do about it? Well, <laughs> much like the earlier ones that I was talking about where I said that there's a lot of contrast mm-hmm. and, and simplicity to it, even though it is photo and it's a little bit different style, than what they've been doing. It does still have that same effect. I mean, you're looking at it as an art piece, and it's, I mean, it is very 
stark when you look at it. It's, oh, yeah. it's mean, it, eye-catching. It brings you back to, the, to kill them all colors with red and the black. Yeah, it's the same kind of color scheme. Mm-hmm. And what's a little bit odd about this this image is that it is uh, basically exactly what the name of the... the uh, <laughs> Load. <laughs> the it, name is. It's it's a mixture of uh, semen and blood. Yes. And I believe that's what the... the it's the, called... The uh, blood, piece of art is called. Yeah, I think it's blood, blood and, and semen. Blood and semen. Yeah. All right. So a little bit different than what we've been looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, a uh, new take on what they've been doing, but still kind of in line with their older images in that way with the contrast. Yeah. You get to the back of that album cover and you've got uh, Miami Vice Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, got, you have the cigar smoking, smoky room, and uh, a fedora sitting on the table. The guy's all wearing sunglasses. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, if, if it wasn't Metallica, it's a really, really cool image. But knowing that this is Metallica, it's a very '90s image too. That too, which you know, it yeah. comes knowing the band coming from you know the jeans and t-shirt era that they were. This was such a, a departure from what they it were. Strange. It was it strange. It was strange to look at. Yeah. I know. I know for a fact that James is not very fond of this uh, photo shoot. The era. photo shoot. That I think that he's not fond of the whole era. Yeah. And the other thing that was also very shocking to everybody is that the fact that when you look at the back cover, nobody has long hair. Yeah, and that that really bothered a lot of people. Not that hair has anything to do with your musicianship, but it was part of the the attitude of of metal, and right. especially guys that were the forefront of thrash. Exactly you know, to change yeah. their image so drastically was tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. It was. So the the back cover also has a almost uh, harkens back to the old Metallica logo when they have they they created this thing called the Ninja Star logo. And they have basically put together the M from Metallica into a square. I guess it creates a square in the center, and it turns it into what looks like a ninja star. The way they have it is the way you read it with the Metallica M in, in straight up and down. It turns it into like almost a, you know the four points pointing into a square. I prefer myself the way it looks when the, the, the points point north, south, east, and west, and that's the way I have it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> the image is, is, a, is an Anton, uh, well, the back image, the back cover is an Anton Corbin image, which is used throughout the album. They've got it, a lot of photos on the in, interior because this is a gatefold. It is cover. a gatefold. You know, and again, it's a two LP set, and, and now at this point, you're paying for the two LPs. Vinyl being on the way out, now you're paying a little bit more. I mean, the, <clears throat> the black album was still, you know, at the time you can you can get it for ten bucks or twelve bucks on vinyl, but now the the cost of vinyl is increasing. This album costs more. I believe this was close to twenty bucks. So you're paying Which for now. It. It's even more. Yeah, now yeah now it's even more. Back then that was expensive. Yeah. Um, and this was an almost an eighty minute album. So it definitely was a double album. You know, on a CD it's a, still a single CD. You know, and and they they had that thought in mind because they cut the Outlaw Torn down to fit it within the seventy nine minutes and twenty second limit that you have. It is it is a gatefold. There are lots of pictures on the inside of Metallica, all either studio type pictures or or them in in natural surroundings. Yeah, they're for the most part they're all planned, staged photos. Yes, they're. 
dressed in very stylized uh, clothing. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but fashion. There, yeah, there are, yeah, that's the best way to put it. I think is is that these are fashion photos. Yeah, these are definitely fashion They're, photos. Which is which is just such a weird thing for a band that started off the way they did on the the Kill 'Em All back cover to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this this lends itself. This is Anton Corbin who is famous for doing um, the Octung Baby album for U2. And this is, I mean, if you look at the colors of this, it's almost an extension of that uh, album, uh, yeah. Octung Baby. I mean, there's a lot of similar colors on it. Lars and Kirk were really into this theme. They really pushed the, for this change, and unfortunately, it happened. James acquiesced. Yeah, and <laughs> what I really don't like about this album cover is that on the inside... They they do have some kind of cool images. A lot of them where they're they're just in the studio playing and stuff, and I do like that aspect of it. And then they've got this really cool Rorschach to bring that point up again. Right, they've got Rorschach images behind all the the uh, song lyrics, but they don't have the full lyrics. They only put these little smatterings. That of, bugged me. Yeah, that was one thing I always loved about picking up records mm-hmm. was that you got the, the all the lyrics and you could follow along. As they were, you know, the song was playing. Right. This just gave you like a line or two. Yeah that that was that was upsetting because there's some. I mean, there's some songs you want to you want to sing along to and you don't have the lyrics. And and the way that those lyrics were short and, and just cut off in in many cases, very reminiscent to what Pearl Jam did on their ten album, their debut album, where they only gave you so many words from the songs, and it was kind of like. Do you not want us to know your songs? And this, yeah, and this was the era really before that the internet got big, and you just being able to to Google things. I mean, you would probably yeah. have to ask Jeeves or some shit. <laughs> no, but, I mean this was this is ninety six, so you know AOL, and yeah, Ask Jeeves is probably on the horizon at this point. But, yeah, uh, and they got criticized heavily for it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not a good move, but still has its its positives yeah um 18 months later a little bit less than 18 months later part two basically reload comes out and the album format the um it features the same theme same same style same theme uh same artist uh andre serrano and this time it is a um, blood and urine picture that he created and that's what they used on the front a lot less shocking even though you know what it is, it's a lot less shocking. It almost looks it like it could a, be a number of things. Yeah, it looks like a peach to me, to yeah. a degree. You know, like like a, a peach, or like a, a blurred peach. But there's there's a lot to it. Do you think if they re or released re reload, it would have been <laughs> urine and semen? <laughs> I don't know, man. And it, a re re reload would have been you know urine, blood, and semen. Uh, it would it would have been something. <laughs> you know, logo's the same. It's yeah, just, they just put a re in front of load with a yeah. little bit different font, and it was. It, I mean, it's definitely. I mean, the songs were were created uh, at the same time, so there's. It, it's literally supposed to be like one big uh, double album, yeah, but or they, double CD. But it, it would have been way too large of a package for people to get. I think they they were trying to be conscious of that. Plus, they didn't finish the songs. Yeah, so. they didn't finish everything, right. so they to get it out sooner. Mm-hmm. They did. They broke it up into two albums. Right. Now, what I do really like about this versus Load is instead of using staged photos, the fashion photos, it's a lot of uh, concert. Yes, that's tours, that's tour, a lot uh, cooler. Images, yeah, yeah, live photos, you know, live action photos versus um, staged 
posed photos. Yeah, and a lot of black and white and color, but the color is very... It's planned because they, they, they plan to take these photos and they know what they're, you know, they're doing with the lighting to achieve mm-hmm. some really, really cool imagery here. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a much more preferable set of images because it, it's, it's not as jarring to see, you know, the, your thrash heroes <laughs> as, uh, you know, playing, playing music yeah, versus as, as Scarface you know. icons. Yeah, <laughs> and and it follows the same interior theme, in, in that it has the uh, Rorschach test mm-hmm. images. You know, it's it's more of the same. Yeah, it's, the, ba- the, it's basically part two, and it's it's a virtually thematically it's it's identical. Mm-hmm. So it uh it goes from there. So there's not a lot to say about Reload other than it's a pretty good album. You know, if well if, if that's your taste yeah if you take if you take uh three quarters of load and a quarter of reload and put it together as one album and leave all the filler off that would have been a, a classic album yeah if you leave the filler off of those uh, when you combine everything you definitely have a great album um so we're going to move on to now uh, we're going to skip over garage inc because that's a, it's even though it's, it's a, a studio cover record, album. it's a cover album yeah. um and we're going to skip over s&m all four of these albums reload or load reload Garage Inc. and S&M all have Anton Corbin photography. They all have the same logo. Although at S&M, they went back to the M again with that same theme. And they added the S with the... With the the um, treble clef. The treble clef. So it was really cool uh, combination of stuff. And then the end of the 90s came and the bottom fell out for Metallica. Jason left the band in 2001. In 2002, James goes into rehab. We all know the story. It was uh, it was documented on the movie Some Kind of Monster, and what emerged from those sessions was Saint Anger. And Saint Anger, uh, as much as Metallica wanted to return to form, they didn't quite get there. I mean, they, musically, yes, sonically, not so much. But the album cover. Is what we're talking about. I would disagree <laughs> in, on those points, but that's, that's for a, another day. That's another conversation. <laughs> the album cover is, again, sort of a return. We, Pusshead has, is back in Metallica's life, and they actually do. He does his first album cover for Metallica. When I say first album cover, it's the first studio album. He had done singles, done T-shirts, but now this is his first album cover for Metallica. No name, no title. Just a really front. strong pop art image. Yes, a real strong pop art image. Um, the fist, which has got a string of some sort tied around the wrist. It's got some strong, vibrant colors. The red, the orange comes out really bright, really strong. There's no shading whatsoever. Yeah, there's no gradation. It's, yeah. it's just the common themes of pop art. It's very stark in contrast as we've said for pretty much every album so far. Right. Now, what it, you, you do notice is that there's no uh, band name on it, but if you had bought the CD, you got a sticker that had a new logo for Metallica, which was different than the original, different than the second one, but tried to kind of go back to being a metal kind of logo. Yeah, it had the same thematic feel where it had the points, but was uh, I would say more of a modern for the time for 2003 mm-hmm. um it was it was a more modern version of that and it did capture the feel of a metal band 
Right. Whereas the previous one was more of a alternative menu. alternative yeah. logo. When you flip the CD over, there was some more Pusset art. Now it's part of actually the, the Pusset art. It's a continuation, but it's an actually an expansion to understanding what the cover, the front cover was. Uh, you have a a rotted mouth. Like, like, kind of like a zombie woman. Yeah, zombie, almost, yeah. yeah, zombie woman could be a guy with long hair, but it, you know, you basically typical pus head. You know, I never skull. thought it. You know, I always looked at it as a woman, but yeah, it theoretically could be a guy because yeah, yeah, yeah with, <laughs> with long hair. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, typical pus head uh, skull. You know, where very detailed teeth, very detailed skull, and the shading. Even though it's, I wouldn't consider it shading because it's monotone type of shade. But it, there's the the shading is done with a stippling style of art where mm-hmm. it's it's points right okay yeah. and as a CD it was a digipack CD the initial release was a right digipack. and it folded open and what you saw was the full picture which in, it basically explains where the wrist and the hand come from uh, the the fist and the, and the wrist all tied together is actually a like a necklace around the skull's neck. Um, so there's a lot going on with with this uh, theme, which it, it ties into the song with Saint the Anger. Saint Anger, correct, around my neck. Yeah, yeah. So it it's uh, it is definitely a very strong statement. Uh, the hand, the the font is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is a, is also a pus head created font. Little, I don't know if you call it scary. It, it's it's a it's an edgy kind of horror kind of yeah fun. horror feel to it yeah, yeah so i like the image the imagery is I, great i love Pusshead's drawing it's just when you put the cd in the the, the horror began <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it's a tough listen some songs are good some songs are not so much but it's the, even the good songs the production are hard to listen to rough. because they're it's the production's bad nonetheless that is what it is it was a return to Metallica being metal, but at the same time, Ish. it was just a rough production. Yeah. You know, it was before Robert Trujillo joined the band. Even though he's featured in the album art, if you look in the right. in, interior cover, it had a photo of the four of them walking together, including Robert. It had a pullout, which had um, some, some interesting art inside of it. There was a painting of... Uh, the, what appeared later on the Some Kind of Monster oh, EP. Yeah. Yes, the, uh, the, the the person that's kind of wrapped up. Yeah, wrapped up, blinded. Almost like a mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it had some more art inside of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have it right in front of us to look at, but uh, it was a cool digipack that folded out like three or four ways. So you got a lot of, a lot of art in the whole thing. It yeah, was, it was great. Yeah, because it had it came along with the bonus DVD of them playing live in the studio the the entire album. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. A, pa- a package, and it, I actually enjoyed that better than the album. It sounded better. It sounded better. Yeah, yeah. I uh, actually ripped that and turned it into a CD, and it's really cool sounding. Yeah, you know, to listen to. So we move on um, now. At this point in Metallica's career, I don't know why they decided to continue this trend, but it went from 1997 to 2003, which is six years to come out. Now, 2003 to 2008, so you got another five years to come out with an album, but they come out with Death Magnetic. Now, this album, the cover... Again, it was a digipack. Yes, it was a digipack, and this one was really cool because it it was layered. And you had different layers to get through the coffin dirt 
part of the front. Yeah. And again, you had a very stark contrast in the imagery because you had this coffin shape in the front that was uh, like a brown and black. Uh, it, it appeared more black on the on the yes. CD version, uh, but it's it's all you know uh, metals that are being attracted via magnetism towards the the center. Right, that's what it looks like. Like a woolly willy, if you remember right. that game where you move the guy's hair around to make him bald or give him a beard or something yeah. but it's a it's a strong image because you f- you first look at it and you you obviously see the coffin shape and then you see this uh the all the the metal being attracted to it so it's it's almost a metaphor like hey we're metal again yeah and and the big thing that you notice right away is that metallica returned to using something very very similar and almost exact to the original uh, logo. Yeah, it's a slight variation yeah, of the original logo. There's a slight variation with the A and the E and the T. It's very minute, so to the point where it almost looks like the original logo. And it, that's you. You kind of felt at that point that Metallica had returned to something. Mm-hmm. What that was is is all up for judgment because some people still don't think they've ever returned to their metal roots. But that's again, that's an opinion, you know, for somebody else. The album itself was really good. It, it had its ups and downs as far as what's metal, what's not. It has Unforgiven 3. I'm still waiting for Unforgiven. Yeah, let's not wait for that. <laughs> um, it, the album cover is pretty cool. I mean, I like it. It's got, you know, it's talking about death and it's talking about mag- magnets. And that those are the two things that really show up on, on the cover. The, the actual packaging was really cool with the different layers. It kind of sounded like you were going to say there was a song about magnets. I was like, I don't remember that song. <laughs> no, no, but uh, they don't have a title. They the North Pole and the South Pole. <laughs> they don't have a title track, but the last song on the album, which is My Apocalypse, has a reference to the phrase Death Magnetic. Mm-hmm. And if you had the CD, the back cover was relatively plain. It was just white uh, with, the, with the album songs listed down the middle. By far the blandest back side of an album cover oh yeah for sure i mean it it is now one thing that frustrated me about the initial release because it had that cutout in the center it cut out the stuff that was in the lyric book yeah it cut out the words. why didn't they move that over to the side it was that was the whole idea kills it oh yeah you can't read it along with it yeah it was definitely upsetting i think it was a bad idea I, I i liked the album cover i thought it was cool but execution could have been a little better. Yeah, it, it was definitely, it was one of those things where you're like, damn it, you could have just moved it over a little just bit a little and it would bit. have been there. We're going to get now to the 10th and final record in Metallica's. So yeah, Because they're going to release another one. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in their history at, at the moment. Hardwired to Self-Destruct came out in 2016. Eight years later. Eight year Span so that's the the farthest that Metallica had been between albums or the longest between albums. They took the, the logo that they had and they had a little bit of like uh, it looks like it's supposed to be digital distortion or or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's so it's it's kind of a little uh, whacked out, it's like some sort of like it got pixelated or something in a way. Like it got hit with electricity and kind of shorted out is what yeah, it looks like. Yeah, I guess so. so yeah. It's it's not bad. It's it's the whole theme of the tour, the whole theme of the record. Yeah, it's the same logo. It's yeah, just, it's the same logo, it's just, just distorted. Been, yeah, 
yes. shock to the system. Exactly. But the image is, is, I don't know, it leaves something to be desired to me. I understand the concept of how they created the image. I'm not a fan of the image. Now, there are three different images that are available to the consumer. They also follow the same theme, though. They, they all follow the same theme, but part of it is is the shapes that they use. The vinyl has a different cover. The CD has a different cover. And then the, C, the deluxe edition of the CD has a different cover. Uh, and, and, and when I say cover, it, the, the image that's in the center where basically all four members are m- blended together to make one sort of monster face each album has a different version of it. Uh, what we're looking at right now is the, is currently is the vinyl version of it, and I do have the CD version, uh, the single CD version of it on my stereo system. I prefer the d- version on the deluxe CD over the regular CD version, or even the vinyl version. I like better than the CD single CD version. Yeah, but as a whole, they they basically feature the same type of image. You've got all four members of the band. They've taken images of them yelling, looking full of rage, etc. And they've all kind of been placed onto this one face. And so you you have a like a, a blurry image that kind of illustrates this this rage in inside of the mind. It's it's got lots of colors. So you got purples, greens. Uh, reds, orange, I mean, the full rainbow. But it's all set on to a white background. So it, it again, has this stark contrast that's been a theme with all their album covers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it gets the point across. It it's it does the trick of, of showing this uncontrollable rage inside. To understand how this effect was made, they basically pose for a picture, and instead of having a white light shine on them they actually had a projector put a picture of another band member on them and so their mouths are lit up a certain way and and it's it's really weird they the image of the other band member on them or even themselves on them one is meant to do something and then the other then they're they're kind of showing an image i mean it's hard to explain how they're doing it, but you know they're they're posing a certain way with their mouth open or or some sort of shock value type of picture, and then the image that's, that's literally projected onto them is different. It could be them, you know, like if Robert has got a, a picture of his mouth open, there's a picture, another picture of Robert, or it could be James that's projected onto him, or it could be Lars yeah. projected onto him, and, and so. It, it just comes across and it, it makes this crazy, really weird, disturbing image that that's what they photographed and then that's what they put together on all four of them. Yeah, it, they're, they're in the center of the, the gatefold on the record. It's got a red projection of an image on their face and what they've done is they took a, a photo of them and uh, made them monochrome so they're all just red except for their eyes and their teeth. And so when it's projected directly onto them, they have the white teeth and the eyes visible from mm-hmm. the projection. But their right. own eyes and, and teeth are red. So the, the one, most of them are kind of cool looking. Like Kirk has kind of a, a cool, almost demonic look. Whereas 
you look at James and it doesn't even it, look like James. It's funny because it's like a cross-eyed guy got projected <laughs> onto him, and somehow his his uh, real eyes have become his nostrils. And yeah, yeah, and it's a little funny to look at. It's, it, the whole thing is disturbing, really. Yeah, in and all that's, honesty, I mean that's what they're going for. I, yeah. It must be, but it, it, it the whole package. This is, is not a glamour shot. No, it's 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 really weird. Uh, you know, you've got on the back. There's a almost animalistic image where you've got the the mouths of the bands protruding from the side of the head. One of them sticking their tongue out. They've got teeth it's just this monstrous image and it definitely says something so it it, it definitely makes a statement it's eye-catching which is the whole point of an album cover which to me this album cover does not go along with the title and that's one of the it's it's almost more because it hardwired to self-destruct sounds like a technological thing right exactly. whereas this is very animalistic mm-hmm. so it's kind yeah. of an odd choice there's, of image. there's some animalistic themes in this, mm-hmm. in this in the songs but the title itself there's no reference between there's there's no connection between the title and the uh, the image that's they should have it. had a song called face monster maybe <laughs> <laughs> so um that is Metallica's album cover history. So what would you say of those? What's what's your favorite? I'm going to say Master of Puppets. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you. Ride, it's just such a strong image. Yeah, Ride Lightning's my favorite album, but it has nothing to do with the album cover. No, I mean, this is specifically about the album covers. Yeah, M- Master of Puppets is probably got the be- it's, it's probably the best album cover, in my opinion. Just there's so much that that album cover invokes. It's a tremendous thought-provoking cover, it's so iconic. Yeah. You know, it's well, the only way I could describe it. I mean, when I went to the store, I mean, this this tells the story. When I went to the store to pick up the next Metallica album, because the first one I owned was Injustice for All, the next one that I wanted to buy was strictly based on the album cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hadn't listened to them, so I didn't know. So I had pretty much a selection of any of them. And the next one that just jumped out to me that said, I have to buy this album was Master Puppets. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's definitely my favorite. My second favorite would probably be um Injustice for All. Okay. I based on on the on the collection that they have, that also tells a a deep thought-provoking story because of of the corruption, of the coldness about it and knowing the history of the band at the time where they lost Cliff. There's something there to that album cover to me. Yeah, I get it. All right, we are up to the big four. Our big four this week is concept albums. The big four heavy metal concept albums. Uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and let us know what your big four is. All right, so uh, starting it off with number four, I've got uh, Wasp, the Crimson Idol. Wow, that's my number four. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So what that is is a story of a man becoming a rock star with all the typical excess, but never really finding happiness with his family. His family doesn't accept him, and he takes kind of a dark turn after his brother dies. Eventually, he ends up hanging himself uh, with his own guitar strings, very poetically. You know, guitar strings never really being the thing that brought him happiness, and, you know, chasing that dream, and never really finding happiness with his family because of chasing that dream. Yeah, the story of Jonathan Steele. Yep. It's pretty heartbreaking and relatable, you know. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of people go through that, where 
they don't necessarily grow up to be what their parents envision for them. And unfortunately, their parents uh, don't uh, accept them for that. And that's really a tragedy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, a very similar story to the Dead Poet Society, uh, the movie with uh, Robin Williams. Same thing with parents not accepting their, what their child want to be. Uh, so what I really like about it is, I mean, it's it's not your typical Wasp affair. It was supposed to be a solo album, but, I mean, it's blacky, and you, you kind of know what to expect instrumentation It was blacky all grown up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a much a, more mature album. Very mature album. Very good. Uh, Frankie Benali played drums on the album. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty cool. It was my number four as well. So my my standout songs on that album were, were "Hold On to My Heart" and uh, "Chainsaw Charlie." Murders in the New Morgue. Yeah, I I like that song. I like that song. It has a it has a feel. Definitely, it sounds like "Murders in the Rue Morgue." <laughs> um, I also liked "I Am One." I yes, liked that, that song. A that's lot. that's also a very good song. All right, so moving on to number three, I've got uh, King Diamond, Abigail. That's my number two. Uh. <laughs> um, I'm not as big of a King Diamond fan as I am uh, Merciful Fate, because uh, he does things a little stylistically different. But what I really appreciated about this album, and I've listened to it a few times, is that it, it tells such a, a cool story. It is a very cool story. It's haunting. Yes, um, the story of Miriam... Natius, I believe it is, Jonathan LaFay, and of course Abigail. Yeah, it, basically this couple moves into an old mansion, even though they're warned by seven horsemen uh, not to move into that uh, that Jonathan inherited from his family. So he, uh, the one night, the the ghost of his ancestor Count LaFay comes to him, shows him a stillborn fetus that's been mummified in a coffin, and says, "This is Abigail. She's possessed your wife, and." You need to stop her from coming back around. Right. So time moves on a little bit, and it becomes very apparent that she's, one, possessed, and that she's going to give birth to Abigail. Right. So Jonathan kind of comes up with a plan. He knows he needs to stop her. He comes up with a plan to to lure her down to where the original body was in the house, and she ends up pushing him down the, the stairs and killing him. Yep. So at that point, Abigail's reborn into the world, and there's a there's a really kind of disturbing reference in there that she's basically eating her old body for sustenance to regrow. <laughs> yeah, and the, weird the, story. Yeah, the seven horsemen find her, take her to this this hidden, I guess it's a church in the woods, and then they seal her away with seven spikes of silver. Yeah. Seven's a theme that weaves itself in and out. Mm-hmm. Know, the seventh day of July, seventeen seventy-seven. Yeah, it's it's a really cool story, and it just shows that he has such an imagination. Oh, he does. Yeah, and in a way of crafting a story that's that it, it like for me when I first got into Merciful Fate, the, the problem that I always had was was getting into the falsetto, but that's always been kind of a thing with with you know a lot of people when they first listen to music if it doesn't first hit them give it a few more tries and something might catch you and for me it was his lyricism that just it was such a cool story that i i just got involved i've listened to the album several times now cool very good um my standout tracks on that are the family ghost and the arrival um Uh, oh i i I really like possession possession is such a cool song and and abigail itself which Mm -hmm. is the final conflict between Mm -hmm. her and jonathan I like both of those songs a lot, but Possession is just such a cool song. Yeah, it's like it's very cool. It, it hits you. 
Why don't you tell us uh, your number three since since well, we've my, kind of taken all yours too? No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> so your four was was my four. Your three was my two. My number three was uh, Fear Factor Demanufacture. Is okay. that on your list? No, it's not. Okay, <laughs> that's a uh, 1995 album from Fear Factory. It's influenced uh, for a couple different things: uh, George Orwell's 1984 novel and The Terminator. 1984 is a classic novel. It is. If you have not read it. Uh, it's definitely worth a read, especially in today's society. Yeah, it's basically a story of you know machines versus man. Basically, in in its own weird kind of way, this is the only person or the only group that can make this album is Fear Factory because they sound so mechanical, mm-hmm. and and the way so so the way that they recorded it and the way that they play the music, it just totally. I mean, between. It sounds like machinery. It sounds like manufacturing. It sounds like it, it sounds like what it is. It's, it's a very strange way to put it. That, like I said, they're the only ones who could have made pulled this album off. I mean, there are other bands that kind of sound similar, but for whatever reason, you know, Fear Factory is perfect. I mean, they created this amazing album with the the sound behind it that just kind of made it all blend into this perfect symmetry of man and machine. And Dino Casares, I mean, he just his guitar playing throughout the album is, is, is outstanding. I mean, he just shreds from beginning to end. Now, what's interesting about this album, coming out in 1995, they were, to me, the forefathers of metalcore. And to, to some degree, there's, there's elements of, of melodic death metal in, in this album. Definitely metal, a lot more metalcore than melodic death metal, but there, there are hints about it. Uh, so my standout tracks. I mean, the story. The story is is basically man versus machine. I mean, it it's, it, it tells the tales about all these machines and, and you know it's it's fight against mankind. Um, so the standout dun, songs. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the standout songs for me are songs that they still to this day play. Li- well, they're not really around anymore. But uh, up until the last time they played, they were still playing these songs live. Replica, demanufacture and self-biased resistor. I mean, those songs were in their set in their last year that they were played together. So it's a testament to how good this album was at the time, you know, at the time and, and it remained. Yeah. So that was my number three. So we already know what my number two is. Your What's your number two? Uh, my number two is Opeth Still Life. Okay, cool. I love that album. Um, I remember picking it up and back to album covers. It was such a cool set. It just it had a, a sleeve over the CD because I, I bought the CD version. You know, you could go through it and, and it had all the, the the trimmings of your typical album that had it was, but it was a very full manual. Mm-hmm. You know, that had all all the the, uh, the liner notes, li- liner notes, and everything in it. So I liked it a lot. But what what was cool about it is it tells the story of a man that's exiled from his village for his beliefs, but returns a few years later to find that his lover Melinda has uh, taken up with a new man. He goes into a blind rage and ends up killing her. In his state of mind, he ends up you know, going after a few other villagers, mostly due to the fact that he was exiled. His life has fallen apart at this point. And uh, he ends up being caught and then hanged due to his, you know, his crimes. Hmm. But what, what more importantly, you know, than just that basic crime is it, it it's kind of a, a, a sad tale because this guy's exiled just because he's a free thinker. Yeah. And it's a famous type of story. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a sad story 
But what's what's really amazing about the album is it can go from just a beautiful section of just this soft music, but beautifully written, all the way to just almost dangerous sounding, heavy music. Mm-hmm. I mean, Opeth, Michael Ackerfeld has just such a deep growl, and he doesn't do that anymore because he's moved to a different direction in music. But uh, when when he was doing the growl, man, oh my god. One one thing that I really love, or one song that I really love on the album is White Cluster. It's the final song on the album, and it tells the resolution of the whole story. It's about 10 minutes long, but it doesn't feel 10 minutes long. Oh, that's good. That, those, those are the best kinds of long songs. Mm-hmm. So, cool. So, for my number one, I've got uh, In Flames Horacle. Oh, okay, cool. It And it may not necessarily be the best one out there but it's my favorite see that's what matters that's what it's your big four yeah uh so it tells the story of uh the fall of society well a technologically advanced society uh not unlike our own right after an apocalyptic event so basically each song kind of follows a story from beginning to end where the first song jotun is a bit of foreshadowing of what's to come it tells, like, basically in the form of a dream, tells this story of things being destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then, so then it has a couple songs, Food for the God, Gyroscope, and there's an instrumental called Dialogue with the Stars, which all have a very hopeful tone. It's basically the advancing of society. Then you reach the Hive, Gesture, strip, uh, gesture Script, Transfigured, and that's kind of a utopian, complacent society. You know, that everything's just smooth and they're not advancing anymore. It just, it is what it is. And then you've got morphing into primal and the worlds within margin. And that's where you see kind of things turning around. Human nature is just what it is. And it's a bit destructive. And you've got these people that have, have reached complacency that are now filming horrible things on TV. You know, just becoming the society we all know We've kind of become now. Right. And then you reach the, the cataclysm of uh, episode 666, which is the last, not the last song, but the last song of the story, which tells the, uh, the actual end of society. So then after that, they follow it with a really cool cover of a Depeche Mode song, <laughs> which is Everything Counts. Cool. And what that, it's kind of poignant in that it's saying everything that we do matters. Every decision we make becomes the end result of something. Right. And so if you avoid going down this path, you can avoid going down this path by thinking about your actions. And then there's there's one more instrumental which kind of just carries the uh, song, which is Horacle. But Ooh. it's such a good album. Uh, it's And it, it's the last of the, what I would say, not necessarily the original lineup of uh, In Flames, but the first... Uh, substantial lineup of In Flames. Okay. Uh, two of the members left after this album, and the drummer became the lead, or not the lead guitarist, but the rhythm guitarist. So they they shuffled things around, which led to some really great things for the next two albums afterwards. But it was definitely the end of an era. Yeah, that's cool. That that the shuffling around of of uh, players is kind of weird. It's sort of like I think if I'm not mistaken, Stefan Kaufman for Accept. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, he was one of the the original drummer. And later went to play guitar for Udo, so it, it's strange. Like yeah, yeah it happens sometimes. But yeah. if you if you really look like uh, a lot of bands, 
when you look at their their liner notes and the who worked on what mm-hmm. on on it's it's interesting and as much like I've been researching Kiss lately um you see a lot of times it wasn't necessarily the Gene Simmons playing bass on the songs right you had Paul Stanley playing multiple parts the lead and the rhythm guitar you had ace playing the bass yes. you had a lot of things like that so you have these musicians that are multi-talented eric carr i think played guitar on a few items in in their band so like it just it just shows how talented some of these guys are when they're, they're able to just step over from one instrument to another yeah except peter he couldn't play anything but drums <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, mean them specifically. Yeah. I just meant <laughs> no. just musicians that can do that. I know. Yeah. All right. So we already went over my my four my four three two. You know, we had uh, Wasp and Fear Factory, and then King Diamond was my number two. So my number one was or is Queensrÿche's Operation Mindcrime. I you, you I, know I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. But. I, I'm a I'm a huge Queensrÿche fan. I don't consider this to be their best album, but it is definitely to me a top notch concept album. Probably one of the most popular concept albums out there by a hard rock band or metal band. Excuse me. Operation Mindcrime came out in 1988. It is the story of Dr. X, Mary, and Nikki. It's a story of drugs, manipulation, corruption, and all that happy stuff. It weaves a tale about Nikki and Mary. Uh, Mary being a woman who was a little bit um, loose with herself, became a nun. She fell in love with Nikki. They wanted to be together, but, you know, there was a lot of things in the way between the church and Dr. X and all sorts of stuff. And so we get to the end of the story, and we really don't know what happened with Mary to some degree. I mean, if you if you follow the story from beginning to end, you know exactly what happened to Mary. Uh, so if you haven't heard it, go out there and listen to it. Queensryche, the band has played the album uh, in its entirety throughout its career. The Empire Tour, they actually played the entire Operation Mind Client album in its entirety. They have done so a couple times. They've they've gone back and they've played some shows where they, it was it was in celebration of Mind Crime. And Jeff Tate and his split with Queensryche was given the rights to play the album in its entirety. Even uh, named their their band. And then he, yeah, Mind he Crime. named his band that, but that has gone kind of by the wayside since then. But he's allowed to play Operation Mindcrime 1 and 2 in their entire... Which, to me, that's kind of like no victory because anybody can play anything. Mm-hmm. But I think the the band itself cannot play. Which I think they could if they wanted to because they just have to pay him. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, I don't think they really want to. Yeah. But, but the album is... It's a great album. I mean, to me, the standout tracks are The Needle Lies, Eyes of a Stranger, and then my favorite song on the album is I Don't Believe in Love. They still play. They, I mean, they I believe they closed the show that we went to see with Eyes of the Stranger. Um, I honestly can't remember. Yeah, but I think that's the, that was their closer. So, I mean, the, the song, slow song, or slower song, but it's still an excellent song, excellent album. That's my number one, Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime. All right, well, that's it for our big four this week, and that means that's it for Debating Metal. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions, or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. On behalf of Kenneth Dean, I'm Chris Kay. We'll see you next week. Bye.